be great. All right, let's take our Bibles this evening. Let's go to Galatians 5, Galatians chapter 5, as we're going through this book together on Wednesday evenings. And uh, real quick, again, as you're turning there to Galatians 5, keep in mind the overall bird's eye view, once again, of this book in mind, all right? So remember, Paul is addressing the churches in the region of Galatia for this main reason. There have been false teachers called Judaizers who have begun to creep into this region and creep into the churches in this region and begin to teach another gospel. They begin to teach a false gospel of adding works to the finished work of Jesus Christ. They're adding rules and rituals uh, to the gospel in their mind in order to be saved. So in teaching this false gospel, these rituals and rules added to the finished work of Christ, in, in teaching this, they were uh, perverting the true gospel of Jesus Christ and causing great chaos and fear in the hearts and minds of these dear believers in the churches of Galatia. So with all that going on, Paul uh, lovingly, passionately, and very sternly goes to work. He picks up pen and paper and begins to write to these dear believers and these dear churches to declare the true gospel of Jesus Christ. He defends the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? He says that salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord and not of, by the works of the law, because he says this in Galatians two sixteen: for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So never forget, all right? Never forget that salvation is God's free gift to us given by grace and accepted by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? So that's the overall uh, bird's eye view of everything that's going on in this wonderful little book of the Bible. So let's go to Galatians chapter five. We're gonna start in verse number seven and go down through verse 15. We'll probably, uh, won't get past um, uh, maybe verse 10 tonight, all right? But let's look at it together and uh, we'll read from verse seven down through verse 15. The Bible says this. I'm going to start at verse 1. All right. <laughs> verse number 1. Stand fast, therefore, in liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ has become of none effect to you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Here it is. Look at verse 7. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that... Ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. I only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another." For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Let's pray. Our Father, again, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you. We have the privilege to study it, to teach it, to preach it. And Lord, I pray in this moment you'd help us to make personal application from the Word of God and through this message tonight. We love you. And Lord, I ask again that you'd help me to preach the Word because I know without you I can do nothing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as we look at this text, especially verses 7 through 15, we see a lot of things here from the pen of Paul. We see how Paul really is trying to encourage these Galatian believers. He is trying to edify them, build them up, because no doubt these Judaizers have been tearing them down. But in this text as well, I see this. Not only is edifying and encouraging, but he's also giving some stern warning as well in, in this text. And uh, uh, how he starts out is really interesting to me. So look at it again with me, if you will. And it says this in verse number seven. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? I like how he starts out when he says, ye did run well. Now, when he is saying this, he is kind of uh, comparing the Christian race to a physical race. And by him doing that, these individuals, these Galatians, these, these Gentile people would have understood what he is talking about. Because understand, during this time frame, uh, sports was a huge deal. And not much has changed in 2,000 years, you know what? But it was a huge deal. Uh, sports was a big part of their life, it was a big part of their, of their culture. And uh, the biggest sporting event during this time uh, all the Greek world would have been looking forward to it. And uh, the biggest sporting event they've been looking forward to would be the Greek Games or, as they've been commonly come to know, as the Olympic Games, all right? But one historian, uh, historian that's not a word, historian uh, noted this about the Greek Games. He said the ancient Greek Olympics started as early as 776 B.C., and it is from the, this ancient event that sparked the, uh, sparked the ideas and inspirations for the modern games that we know as the Olympics that happen every four years. But originally, these games were considered, these Greek games were considered to honor and respect Zeus, the king of the gods, false gods, by the way. But because the idea was to honor Zeus, which he was considered the strongest of their false gods, uh, that meant that the games were created to test the strength, agility, and skills of the participants to see really how fierce they were, to see how much of a warrior they really, they really were. And to find out who was the fiercest of them all, they had to compete against each other in games such as wrestling, chariot racing, boxing, a discus throw, javelin throw, horse race, racing, many other uh, events as well. But this one, this one which was um, highly regarded, it was this one, running or racing. And these Galatians at this moment would have been very familiar with all these sporting events that surrounded the Greek games. They would have been very familiar with it, and Paul knew this too. And so Paul appealed to their common sports knowledge and used the sport of running as an illustration, which, by the way, was a common practice for Paul as he would write to different churches and to uh, uh, different cities uh, about when he would write these letters, all right? He used different types of uh, uh, illustrations concerning sports, okay? He did it often. But he used this type of illustration here to prove a point of his application, and many times he would do that. But the application that I'm seeing, at least in this text this evening, that I'd like to at least bring out, is at least one application is this one. And his question, really. And he says again in verse number seven, 
You did run well, but who did hinder you? You should not obey the truth. He is saying, who is hindering your race? What is hindering your walk? What is slowing you down? What is killing your motivation to run the Christian race and this Christian life that you are, that you are in? And it's a great question for all of us to consider. Because we're all in a Christian race together. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you are in the Christian race. And we are to run well, but even finish well as, as well. <laughs> we're to run well. But is there anything hindering that run? Anything hindering you in the race? And that's something I'd like for us to consider this evening. Hindrances to our race, all right, from this text in particular. So the first hindrance I see in this text that could uh, hinder our running, hinder our race, is this. Number one, disobedience to the truth. Again, look at verse number seven. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? You see, when it comes to running an actual competitive race, there are certain uh, rules that we must follow in order to compete. There are certain truths, if I can say it that way, that we must obey. Anybody here, you ran competitively in high school, uh, track or cross country, anybody? One, two, three. <laughs> Did you know I ran track in high school? Why are some of y'all laughing? I heard a couple laugh. I may not look like I used to run track. That's because I didn't actually run track. I was just part of the track team, all right? <laughs> Discus and shot put is part of track, all right? But, uh, but anyway, uh, but we know what it, what it means to have a track meet or have a, have a, have a race. And there's a particular uh, race in a track meet that uh, I can never, I would never do. I may give it a shot, but it was called the hurdles. Now, not only am I slow, but I'm also vertically challenged. And they didn't ask me to run hurdles, all right? But, uh, but did you know when it comes to racing in, in the race with hurdles, there are certain rules you must follow if you're going to run in that race. Uh, in, in the hurdles, you must attempt every jump at each hurdle. You have to attempt it. For failure to do so, you will be disqualified. Or if you knocked over a hurdle intentionally, either by hand or by your foot, it's intentional, uh, you will be disqualified immediately. Or if you ran around the hurdle, which, of course, is much faster, you would still be disqualified. There are certain rules you had to follow. There are certain truths you had to obey in order, in order to run this race. And when it comes to the race for the Christian life, we, too, must obey the truth. We must obey the truth of the Word of God. We must obey the Bible because if we do not, this disobedience to the truth can hinder our race. It can slow us down and kill our momentum. You see here, when he's talking about this in verse number 7, you did run well. Who did hinder you? That word hinder there. It's almost like as if you're running down the track in your race. You're doing really good. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere from the stand, somebody jumps in front of you and tries to stop you and even push you backwards hindering you, trying to slow you down and stop you. Uh, that's what he's getting at here. And disobedience to the truth, disobedience to God's word can do just that. And please know that disobedience to God, to his word, is a big deal to God. It is a big deal. And by the way, it's sin. 
The Bible says this in James 4, 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. You know, sometimes when we, we think of sin, we, we want to uh, think of lists of sin or we want to try to um, uh, categorize sin. Uh, we want to make a pro or con list of type of, type of thing with, when it comes to sin. We want to make a list like uh, sins that may be more acceptable uh, than others or sins that may not be as bad. They're bad, but, you know, it's not as bad. We want to try to categorize sin sometimes, but listen, that's not right. That's not what we ought to do. But if we did do that, where would you categorize disobedience? I'd say most of us say, well, I mean, it's just disobedience, man. It's not like we're killing people. You know, it's not like we're committing adultery. It's not like we're, we're going out and, uh, and harming children. I mean, come on, it's just a little disobedience. But understand something. A little disobedience is a big deal to God, and it should be to us as well. Do you know why it's such a big deal to God? It's because this. Through this first sin of disobedience, it was that sin that plunged all of humanity into sin. And we see that in Romans chapter 5, in verse number 12 through, through 19, we read it to you. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was, that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. I'm thankful for grace, aren't you? But in, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is, so, is so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many, I'm sorry, is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Here it is. Here's what I was getting to. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And that one man that's talking about here is Paul's writing to the Romans. That one man's disobedience, that one man was this man. It was Adam. Do you remember what happened in the garden? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, it says this, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You should not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open. You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. You know, when you read these verses and you think of that uh, first temptation there in the garden, uh, what was that first temptation that the devil brought to Eve? 
Now, many people would say, if I ask that question, they'll say, well, the, the temptation was, was this, is the temptation to eat the apple. Well, first off, how in the world he knows an apple, all right? I keep hearing that. I don't know if I like that, nor do I agree with that, because uh, I think apples are delicious. Anybody with me on that? Okay, absolutely, all right? Honeycrisp. You, you don't like apples, you ain't had a honeycrisp. All right, anyway. Secondly, I don't think it was an apple. It was probably a beet. They, those things may have, may have grew on trees at one time, but uh, God in his rich mercy decided to bury those things in the dirt, but us in our wicked fallen nature and sin dug it back up and still eat it today. But anyway. But it wasn't the temptation to eat the fruit. I think the, the temptation to eating fruit, well, that was just fruit of the temptation, pun intended. The temptation was this. Here it is. Eve... God didn't really mean what he said. Eve, listen, he didn't really mean that. And because he really didn't mean that, you know, you really don't have to obey him. Eve, you can live independently of the Lord. Eve, listen, listen, listen. You can do what you want. Which, by the way, do what you want is the philosophy of all Satanists. It's in their mantra, all right? You can do what you want. You can live independently of a God. You don't have to really listen to the Lord. But understand something. She gave heed to that deceptive uh, liar we call the devil. And listen what happened. Humanity plunged into sin. But know this as well. Though she may have been deceived, her husband Adam went in with his eyes wide open. Because he gave, or she gave, she gave, the Bible says in Genesis 3, 6, gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. He knew what he was doing. And he did it willingly. He disobeyed God willingly. And it was this disobedience that plunged humanity in the depths of depravity. So listen, disobedience to God and to God's word is a big deal. And we, as believers, should treat it as such. We should. If we try to run the race our own way, if we try to avoid the truth and the rules, if you will, in the race we're running, we'll never finish. Won't finish right, won't finish with grace, won't finish strong, won't finish in faith. Listen, don't allow disobedience to slow you down. Don't allow it to kill your momentum. Don't allow it to hinder your, your race. So what can hinder our race when it comes to the Christian life? Well, we see here from this text, disobedience can. And that is something that was hindering these Galatians and these believers in this church. It was some disobedience that was going on. But what else can hinder the race? All right, here's one that I see from this text, especially in verse 8 and 9. It's this one. Number two, division. Division can hinder believers in their race. Division among believers, listen, I believe is a horrendous and terrible thing. I was even speaking with some uh, a preacher friend today, and he was telling about a recent uh, a church that he knew of that was facing great difficulties and beginning to split. There's a church in another state, but beginning to split. And as I was listening to them, my heart was breaking for, for them, for the church, and for him. And uh, honestly, listen, uh, that kind of stuff just terrifies me. It really does. As, as a believer, as a pastor, as, as a leader, it just terrifies me. And I'd rather die than to see something like that happen, really, honestly. But I want to keep this verse in mind when it comes to those kind of things. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity in the spirit or of the spirit in the bond of peace. 
It's okay for believers to disagree from time to time. We can be brethren without being twins, all right? We can disagree, but we can disagree graciously, graciously. It's okay to disagree, but do so in keeping the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. But understand, that's not what the devil wants. He don't want there to be no unity. He doesn't want there to be any peace. He wants there to be division. Why? So he can destroy. He's the destroyer. That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. He will try his dead level best to do any of that to destroy and, and divide. You know, I find it very interesting as, as I uh, study scripture and, and uh, look at different events in scripture where it would seem no doubt the devil is attacking individuals or, or folks as a whole. Uh, I find it very interesting when he attacks. Now, uh, most of the time we would think that he would attack when we're low, when we're deflated, discouraged, depressed, which by the way, he does do that, okay? But uh, maybe not as often as we think, seeing that we're already defeated in that moment. Uh, but I, when I look at other attacks in, in Scripture, I think a lot of times he, he attacks when um, there's great victory. Uh, he attacks the come after big wins. Because after great victory and after big wins, there's unity. And he, he don't like that. And he wants to divide. But you can see this often as you read in the Word of God. You can see it even in the life of Joshua. We started that book, I don't know, about a year or so ago now. Yeah, I guess a year ago. But do you remember what happened after the big win over the mighty walls of Jericho? There was great rejoicing. Uh, there was no doubt a big win for them. There was great unity, mostly. But the very next battle was the battle of Ai, and what happened? It was their defeat. And as far as we know, that was their only recorded defeat during the conquest of Canaan. But when did that defeat come? After a huge battle victory over the mighty walls, mighty walls of Jericho. And then you can look at the life of David. Now we know, we know what happened with David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. But do you know what happened in 2 Samuel chapter 10? I encourage you to go read it. Go read it. You'll find the last verse where they had a great victory. And the Bible says after that, after that great victory over their enemies that the, the enemies of Israel made peace with Israel. They didn't, want, they didn't want no more smoke with Israel, all right? They didn't want to fight them any longer. <laughs> they made peace with them. In the very next chapter, David and Bathsheba. You can look even in the life of Jesus, of course, even after uh, Jesus, after his baptism, after his announcement to public ministry, after hearing the very voice of the Father out of heaven, you find what? You find Jesus being led to the wilderness, being tempted of the devil. Listen, it's after great victories, oftentimes you will find the devil fighting. Why, though? Why will he do that? Why does he attack then? Well, I don't have all the answers. But could one be... Because after big wins, after big victories, there's unity and momentum moving forward. And he wants to stop it in his tracks because he does not want to see the church of Jesus Christ moving forward for the glory of God. That's when he'll attack. He wants to hinder that race. He wants to hinder that moving forward. He wants to stop it. And one way he does so is with division. And I believe he was doing that even here in the churches of Galatia. No doubt they were moving forward with the gospel. Many Gentiles come into Christ after hearing the pure gospel of Christ, how, how he died for them, was buried for them, rose again from the grave for them. And they were flocking to the Lord Jesus Christ and coming into the church. He hated it. So how did he try to divide it? 
the Judaizers and sending them down to Galatia and into these churches to divide and conquer. Look at it again with me. Look at verse number, verse number 8. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord, that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever, whosoever he be. You see here in these verses, especially verse number, verse number 9, Especially verse number nine, Paul makes reference to leaven, all right? Now, I don't think as he's making reference to leaven, he's talking necessarily about the food additive that you would put in, into your bread mix to make your bread a little lighter, all right? He's not writing a, uh, uh, his favorite recipe in a, in, a, in a cookbook, okay? That's not what he's referencing here. I believe that he's referencing specifically the Judaizers and their false teaching. Because remember... These Judaizers came to this region of Galatia. They have infiltrated the churches, began to teach another gospel, a false gospel of adding, that leaven, that's the additive, adding law to grace, adding rules and rituals and other works to the finished work of Christ. That's what they were doing. They were adding this. They were putting their leaven into the whole lump. And it would seem that some of these Galatians were getting a taste of this additive. It would seem that a few of them are starting to give heed to the false teaching or at least entertaining another gospel. And if they continue to listen to the false teaching, if they continue to entertain another gospel, if they continue to get a taste for this additive, it could be very dangerous for the church because it could cause division. Folks, listen, when it comes to the teaching and preaching of men, we cannot just take it just a at face value, but rather we must compare what is taught. We must compare what is preached to the truth, to God's, to God's word. This is exactly what the Galatian, or, sorry, not Galatians, Bereans did. The Bereans did this. In Acts 17, verse 10 through 11, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? In that they received the word with all readiness of mind. They were ready for it. Man, they wanted it. Hungry for the word of God. And searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. You see, the Bereans, the Bereans compared even what Paul preached what Paul preached to the very scriptures that they had in their hands to see if the teaching and preaching of Paul was accurate or not. The Bereans did this to the, the Apostle Paul. And that's why they were more noble. But even in Galatia, Paul said they were acting very foolish because they were not doing that as they're comparing what the Judaizers were teaching and preaching to them. Now look, I'm thankful for the technology we have today. I am thankful for online uh, online um, uh, capabilities we have to, to, to live stream our services, to get the gospel out in all different parts of the world and around the country. It's amazing. There's people watching us all over the world. Really, they are. They really are. Across the country, people are watching us over in, in California and other places. It's, it just blows my mind. Anybody want to listen to any, anything that I have to say, you know, really. And people are listening to us on the radio all the time. It's really amazing to me. I'm thankful for all these, all these things we have as far as technology goes, the advancements there to get the gospel message, gospel message out. But we're not the only ones there, right? We're not the only ones on the radio. We're not the only ones online. There's, there's others, too. And there are some out there that are wolves in sheep's clothing as 
false teachers, false preachers. And just because they call themselves a pastor, just because they call themselves a preacher, doesn't necessarily mean that they are. I'm reminded that even, even Satan transforms himself into an angel of light in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. No marvel, he says, no surprise. That shouldn't surprise any of us that people would do that. Why? For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their works. So there's some great teaching, great preaching out there. I'm telling you, there is. I'm thankful for it. I listen to, to many people as well. It helps me. But what they teach and what they preach must be, we must be diligent to compare what they say to the truth of the word of God. Why? So we don't allow false teaching to seep into your life and thereby cause division, division amongst yourselves and among the church. Why? Because division will hinder your race. It'll be that opponent in front of you pushing you backwards, trying to get you to stop and try to get you to stop your momentum and get you sidetracked. That's what division does. That's what disobedience does. There's many other things that do that as well. We'll consider them next time. But for today, consider these two, all right? Don't let your disobedience, please don't be disobedient to the word of God. Try the best you know how. Being obedient to God and his word. And don't let division creep in. Don't let it happen. Be a watchdog against it, all right? Don't let it happen. Because they will hinder our, our moving forward, hinder our race that we're running together. It'll hinder it all. It hinders.